Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bigly Blast. The Cardinals must really love Kyler Murray or they must really love trolling the media. How else to explain the social media post from our NFL franchise that celebrated Murray as their franchise quarterback just as the football world descends on the NFL Combine in Indianapolis? Yup, the things that make you go, huh? After all, this is the same team that committed to Josh Rosen on social media before drafting Murray, the team that turns social media affirmation into a kiss of death. Now, there is no doubt that Murray was impressive in his return from major knee surgery. He showed commitment, resilience, toughness, the ability to evolve by taking snaps under center, and by the end of the season, his quarterback metrics look pretty good. But pretty good is not good enough in the NFL, not at that position, and there have been rumors that the Cardinals have done extensive research on Oregon Bo Nix, who might be available at 27, who I think might be the second best quarterback in this draft. And what if Michael Penix Jr. happens to be available? Remember, the Packers shocked the world and their incumbent quarterback when they drafted Jordan Love at 26. And if and when the Cardinals address their need for a backup to Kyler Murray will be a really strong hit of what they really think of Kyler Murray. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Each year, I've seen uh, a step change in terms of his growth. And this year, you know, it was a little bit different because he was coming back from that injury. But as soon as he stepped on the field the team rallied around him and you saw what he did and you look at our production on offense you know we we went from a a, a good running game team to i think we were top 5 in the league mm-hmm. after he stepped onto the field for those last 8 games so scoring went up uh the ability to control the ball um he just brought a confidence level and a, a leadership to the to the offense and to the, the to the entire team uh that i think was palpable that was cardinals owner michael bidwell part of uh, newsmakers week last friday here on bickley and Morning's talking about what he has seen from Kyler Murray. We heard the comments earlier in the week from Monty Austin Ford on how impressed he was Mm -hmm. with Kyler Murray and really what Kyler did in those last four games. So that makes... And all that could be true. It, it could be true, yeah. but it, it like, you can't ignore this kind of stuff anymore in, in, in today's social media climate that the Cardinals... Yesterday, just randomly put out a, a graphic of Kyler Murray for no reason. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his birthday. It wasn't anything like that. It, was just, <laughs> it wasn't our, Kyler Murray Appreciation yeah, Day. Here's our starting quarterback. It wasn't quarterback. Love Your Diminutive Quarterback Day. It wasn't any of those things. No. It was a Monday. It was a Monday. That's right. And um, and 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 we played sound bites from the ESPN's morning show that, that they're reading this as a cue. And the way it hit the rest of the NFL, it, it's really, really funny like there was one person who responded with a with a photo of the cliff kingsbury affirmation mm-hmm. of josh rosen josh is our guy yeah, right and the response was i am familiar with your game <laughs> it's really a no-win situation in a way mm-hmm. if they don't say anything why aren't they supporting kyler murray going into the draft or the, and well, if they they say, don't, you don't need to support him you've supported him with your with with a with a contract the timing of it is what make the why of it is what well, makes people kind of go and the only way it's a win for the cardinals and their their social media team is if 
and, and this came up in the Rush Hour reboot. Mm-hmm. It was a troll. It was a response to the reports out there <laughs> uh-huh. that the Cardinals are doing diligence on some I of the quarterbacks and, in this yeah, crap. Right. Now, right. the easy way out of it for the social media team is today they post a picture of James Conner. Our, that's our franchise running, running back, back. Yeah, franchise right. running back, well, RB one. You or, know, or that maybe, kind of thing. or maybe they j- did this just to kind of give a Kyler a mwah, like, dude. Just so you know, here we're gonna put this out here. You know what I mean? It's like people on Facebook putting a post how much they love their spouse. <laughs> well, oh, you don't it, need to share it with the world, but you're doing it for a reason. Well, that's true, and it's always legitimate. Now, the <laughs> the. Uh, I'd like to start off this sports kebab by wishing my wife a birthday. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Now, I, now, when I do it, when I do it, it's, she doesn't listen you, to the sports kebab. Happy the, birthday, Bennett, who definitely the, you, doesn't listen no, to the show. Doesn't. Right, exactly. The, you are the, say happy birthday. You are the cornball. <laughs> to be, a happy birthday for my reason for getting up every morning. <laughs> Food. Thank you. Right. <laughs> That's true. Happy birthday, burrito. Now, um... <laughs> The, the, the post, though, is in line with everything Jonathan Gannon, Monty Austinfort, and Michael Bidwell have said the entire offseason. Right. There hasn't been any cracks in their facade of we support and love and, love and want Kyler Murray. So there really is no reason to read anything into this other than you can read something into anything. And yeah, because well, of the listen, Josh Rosen but, post. But again, it, again, like I said at the end of the blast, what you really need to be, you'll you'll know a lot more about if there's any validity to this or if there's a, a, what their what their real commitment is to Kyler Murray. If they if they allocate a high leverage draft pick in pursuit of a backup quarterback, just like the Jordan Love element in Green Bay, that might be a cue. That Kyler Murray's their guy for 2024, but not necessarily beyond. And in fact, I think I've heard a promo where that's where Gambo is at. That that that's where the commitment to, from the Cardinals lies to 2024, not for the all of the future for 2024. Popular guy. <laughs> I can't get the volume off this thing. <laughs> Do you need help? <laughs> Stop texting me, Greg. Someone, <laughs> someone get us a Generation Z person in here. <laughs> but so, you really could make things difficult by calling Bickley right now. I told you <laughs> that would be that would be worse. <laughs> um, if the commitment is only for twenty twenty four. With all the needs on this team mm-hmm. to use draft capital on a quarterback of the future right now for a four-win football team would not be foolish. It would not be prudent. It would be foolish. It would be foolish. Now the Green That's Bay right. Packers were in a much different situation Definitely. when they did that. Definitely. And so, and again, but I, and again, I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm just saying it's something I'd watch for because that would be the cue. The cue that okay, we've got a guy that can get us through one more year, but this is really not our guy. We need to get a more traditional, bigger pocket passer. That that's 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 what's going to be interesting. Yeah, but you know what? I'll say this then: if if that is indeed the Cardinal stance and the commitments for twenty twenty four, then move off of him now. Start the future now. I think again. I think it's a step backwards. I don't think Jonathan Gannon and Drew Petzing and Monty Austinfort want to go into year two with a rookie starting quarterback. No, to stunt the growth that they may have accomplished at the right. end of last year. And right. how often are you going to have a top four pick in the draft in the future? Monty Austinfort mm. said never again right. on this show. So, that's right. You don't want to look for your next f- franchise quarterback with like. The 18th pick. But Steve Keim also told us that back in 2019. Well. Yeah, it's nice to have number one. We never want it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you never want to be there. No. No.
So uh, interesting. Again, I really, I think Kyler Murray, uh, the toughness that he showed, the resilience, the 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 ability to want to play football, to finish games, to not want to come out of games. I, I think he took. I think he did a lot of good things. I think he took some big steps forward. But in in this particular situation, with the draft coming up, look, we this is this is a brand new deal. It's a brand new day for the Cardinals. Yes, it is. Coming up next, we'll continue to talk football, and the Cardinals will be a topic of discussion as we talk to former Cardinals quarterback, Hall of Famer Kurt Warner joins us here on Bickley Murata Mornings, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, it's Bernsey. Marvin Harrison Jr. will not be participating at the NFL Combine. Who else should the Cardinals brass be paying attention to? It's the Burns and Gambo Show, and it starts at straight up 2 o'clock. We continue on the Tuesday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Ak Chin Community Studios, and it is always our pleasure. It's been a while since we've had our uh, next guest on. The Hall of Fame quarterback, Kurt Warner, joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Kurt, good morning. How are you? Kurt! Good morning. How are you guys doing? I'm well. I'm well. Good. Uh, how deep are you into quarterback study for the upcoming NFL draft? Uh, I'm about six deep, so I've kind of gone to the, the top six guys by most people's boards. Uh, I've watched about four games for each of those guys. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty deep into it. I, you know, I'm not a huge draft guy because uh, I think so much of it is projection and we're just guessing. Um, but I do cover the first round of the draft, so uh, I, I will dive into it a little bit and try to get a feel for who these guys are in college, what they've done, and uh, and try to find some translatable traits uh, and, and things that I've seen that uh, that can move to the next level. Just one more draft question. I've, I've seen personally a ton of Caleb Williams and obviously a ton of Jaden Daniels, him being here for three years, but I haven't watched a lot of North Carolina football. I'm assuming you've seen Drake May, and if so, what, what, what have you seen from him in terms of what, what could pop at the next level? Well, I think what you see first and foremost, and, and, and really in a lot of these guys, is you see the physical traits of these guys. You know, Caleb and Jaden are guys that very athletic can create, can make plays with their feet, things that that, that excite you, as well as you know the ability to make every throw. Drake May, uh, a bigger guy. You know, a lot of people liken him to Justin Herbert from a, a body standpoint: tall, long, lean, got the big arm. Um, you know, a lot of inconsistencies for me uh, in terms of you know just making throws, misses a lot of throws that I think he should make, which concerns me. You know, there's a lot of technique issues, but, you know, we've seen that before. You know, I always like to go back to Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys that was extremely physically talented in college, um, you know, put up a bunch of yards and what have you. His technique was kind of all over the place. You know, he did things that were a little unorthodox, even though he had success with it. So you step back and you go, I don't know, I have any idea how that's going to translate. And then he translates to the NFL, and you, and you quickly see – you know, what you couldn't really understand from a mental standpoint, you quickly see, oh, my gosh, he's got all of that. And that, to me, is the hardest thing to project with these guys is offenses I don't like. They're simplified. They don't give guys a chance to really progress through their reads if they're capable of doing that. So you're never quite sure what you're going to get. And Drake yeah. May is a guy, again, physically talented guy, 
misses some throws. You know, the offense isn't overly complicated. You know, a little bit more athletic, kind of has an athletic feel to him, makes a lot of plays kind of off schedule, even though he's not as athletically talented as the other guys. So there's there's a lot to like. You know, I, I even like in, you know, C.J. Stroud last year. I think he's better in the pros than he was in college. And people are going to argue, well, he was great in college. Yes, he was great in college. That That's not the point. The point is they're asking him to do different things in Houston in terms of processing, getting the ball out, ability to move his feet and eyes together in a quick banner. They're all things I didn't get to see at Ohio State because they played more down the field, attacking and throwing you know the bigger throws down the field, which are definitely translatable, but you didn't see that piece. And so it's hard to project that, whereas last year he was unbelievable. And you know what you saw, I thought he was a top five quarterback in the league doing those things that we couldn't see in college. And that's where this thing gets so hard for me is you can only go on so much and you can only see so much, especially within these college offenses, to figure out whether it's going to translate and they're going to be really good at the next level. Now, Kyler Murray did a lot of good things last year. He showed some resiliency, some toughness, the ability to go under center and, and play traditional forms of the position. Did he show you enough to answer all questions? What do you think of the Cardinals quarterback moving forward? He hasn't answered all the questions for me. For me with Kyler, it's it's simply a matter of consistency. I, I want to see him play at that high level week in, week out, through the course of a game. You know, and, and a lot of it for me, and whether it's bias or whatever because of how I played or, you know, people want to say this all the time, is that I still have to see these guys play inside the pocket consistently. That you can't live no matter how talented. I mean, Kyler makes so many unbelievable plays moving around. But you can't live in that world. It doesn't matter how good you are. I think we've seen that with Lamar Jackson. As talented as anybody we've ever seen play the quarterback position, when it comes time to win games against good teams, you've got to do it consistently inside the pocket and make throw after throw after throw. And so that's what we're still waiting for. You know, Lamar's done it at a great level in the regular season. When he gets to good teams week in and week out, he hasn't been as consistent. Kyler, we've seen moments in the regular season. I mean, he's been in the MVP conversation numerous times because he's such a tremendous playmaker. And I've always said this, one of the most gifted throwers that we have in our league, the ability to throw the football. But he hasn't been consistent in terms of seeing and playing within the pocket. And that's what, to me, causes the the great inconsistencies from game to game or throughout a season for Kyler. And if you want to be, in my opinion, again, a, a franchise quarterback, a guy that can carry a team and can win against the best teams in the league consistently, you've got to be able to do that consistently. And that to me is still where he, you know, if there's anywhere in his game that he lacks, that's where he lacks. It's amazing to me when you look at Patrick Mahomes and, and you're a guy that could very easily have three Super Bowl rings. You're, you, you gave your team the lead in the fourth quarter of all three Super Bowls you played. And, and this stuff matters. And now that Patrick Mahomes kind of won a ring after a year when the Chiefs seemed the most vulnerable. It really has kind of created some separation here, not only between Patrick Mahomes and the rest of his peers, but in this team now that has got the ability to do something no other team has done, which is three-peat. Your thoughts on, on the hierarchy and what Patrick Mahomes did to it with that Super Bowl win last year? Well, I mean, I just think he continues to prove to us that 
you know, that, that he is the best in the game. And, you know, maybe one day we'll say he's the best to ever play. And, it, you know, again, it comes back to what I was talking about earlier, his ability to do everything. You know, like everybody falls in love with the physical things that he does, and, and rightfully so because he's really talented. But where he wins games is mentally. How he separates himself with what he sees, his timing, his feel, his recognition, as we saw in the Super Bowl, down the stretch, they put the ball in his hands, not necessarily just to throw it, but, you know, he's reading a defensive end, and then he gets to decide whether he's going to throw it or run it on the outside, and he runs for a fourth down conversion, and then at the end of the game, they do the same thing, and now he finds the guy and throws it for the touchdown to win the game, is that he's got an unbelievable ability mentally to see and do what's needed in the moment, and that's what, to me, doesn't get enough credit. This year, I don't quite look at it like everyone else. I thought their defense was incredible this year, and so we had an incredible defense coupled with the best quarterback in the league and they kept him in that game over and over and over again until he finally got that opportunity or they got into the moment and he made the plays and so I don't look at this as like oh this was a down year for the Chiefs it's just a different year you know and and I get it I understand what we're saying with them offensively but I thought their defense was awesome all year kept him in games kept him in games and then Patrick is so good he's good enough to do what's needed to be done and not make the mistakes and mentally make the right play in the moment, which to me was kind of what Tom Brady was, is that he was always the best in the moment. And it's what always separated him in the biggest games. And that's what we're seeing from Patrick Mahomes. Kurt, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making some time for us today. You got it, guys. Take care. Thank you. Kurt Warner, Hall of Famer, NFL Thanks, Network, Kurt. Westwood One. Does it all. He joined us here on the oh, Arizona the Sports Line. Coming up next... The uh, Suns schedule the rest of the way. There's been a lot of talk about it. I dove a little deeper on it. It ain't easy. That's, that's, <laughs> Is that what you found that's, out? That's my conclusion. We'll get into it next. It's Pickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You look at it now as a goal to stay out of the playing games and just get win, it win as many games. No, just win as many games as you can and get it the highest seed that you can get. I mean, it's just all about taking it a game at a time and keep leading and keep grinding. And everybody here is, uh, you know, looking forward to the playoffs, but we know each game is important. Frank Vogel on Sunday on avoiding the play-in game said the goal is very clear to win as many games as you can. Mm. Let the chips fall where they may. Uh, Kevin Durant, after the win against the Lakers on Sunday on ABC, was asked, hey, how can a win like this propel you up the standings? The key is always the same, and that is winning a lot of games. But, man, that is easier said than done with this remaining schedule. 24 games left for the Suns. Uh, they are 34-24, and 24, back to 10 games above 500. Uh, and they got this uh, back-to-back with Houston. And the way that both conferences shake out right now, mm-hmm. I was looking at this yesterday. Right now, in both conferences, you've got basically 10 teams jockeying for the the playoff positions, and then five teams who are a step back, to put it mildly. Um, So when you break it down in groups, games against the West top 10 and the West bottom five, Mm -hmm. games against the East top 10 and the East bottom five, the Suns have eight... um, Here's what they have against the, uh, the top 10 in the West, okay? Versus Oklahoma City... At Denver twice, at Oklahoma City, at New Orleans versus Minnesota versus New Orleans, uh, both home and away against the Clippers at Sacramento against Minnesota. Yikes. 
They've only yeah. got four games against the bottom four teams in the West, and that is the back-to-back games against Houston and then later on a, a back-to-back trip to San Antonio. Right. Yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of individual big games there, and you can you can see why there's going to be a pressure to win these games. And that's why, to me, this week right here, this is the call before the storm, quite literally, where you've got three days of practice and you've got two games against the Rockets separated by a day off in between. So you've got to assume you're going to win both those games, and hopefully you're going to have a couple of really good-spirited practices where you can reset this team and get their minds kind of focused on how to get to the finish line. Yeah. So so you look at this team and you say to yourself, okay, what does this team need to do to get better? And we've seen their weaknesses, they're well-traveled. We've seen them from day one and many of them still exist. I think what we saw in terms of balance, if they can get, um, if they can stock the floor with shooters who can, who are willing and can make big shots, uh, consistently, that's the key word. I think that obviously is going to make them very, very, very difficult to beat. In the meantime, if they could find a way to maybe harness a different kind of defensive energy, and I know this is very difficult to do because as we've spoken already, when you've got a, a, def- a team that's deficient defensively, it's because you have a lot of negative minus defenders. And it's very hard to turn minus defenders into good defenders. You can do it um, in, in short bursts. But but making it part of who you are, that's a little difficult to do if, unless you've really got that kind of group of guys. But I think most uh, most uh, unbiased observers would look at the team and go, that's, that's one of their weaknesses. They don't always have defensive intensity. They don't always have the requisite physicality, especially that you might need in the postseason. If you could maybe tweak the mindset of this basketball team to get them to engage a little more, because they seem to do that against the Lakers. You were there. You would know better than anybody. I, I also think the Lakers were a little lax early in that yeah. game, quite honestly. They didn't look all that interested in playing basketball, and I, I, I got the I same mean, vibe. I really did. I think yeah. I, I think you find that over the course of NBA seasons now more than ever. It's just teams kind of picking and choosing their spots on, on when to turn it on, certainly on the defensive end. And I think now with the, the reality of the Sun situation in these standings, that will, you know, by default, pick up the intensity level. They don't want to be a playing team. Mm-hmm. And there's an incentive to playing better defense. But, I, I mean... <laughs> Seeing teams like the Bad Boy Pistons or the, the the Pat Riley New York Knicks, teams that really brought it every night on the defensive end, you just don't see that in the NBA anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all about picking and choosing. Going back yes, to the scheduling, exactly too, right. you mentioned, um, and you probably got a reaction from some people listening when you said, you have to assume that you'll beat the Rockets twice. You should. Well, but the no, and I talked about this yesterday. In Vinny's view, is winning the games against the teams that you're supposed to beat. No, they have uh, of of the of the teams that are not really in the playoff thick of things in either conference right now. They've got six games remaining: two against Houston, two against San Antonio, and then in East Toronto at Charlotte. Those are six non-negotiable games, in my opinion. You yes. have got to win those games. Every last one of them. And if you go 6-0 yep. and oh there, you're at 40 wins. And then that leaves this gauntlet. I didn't even mention the teams in the East in the top 10 that they still play. They got Boston twice, Cleveland twice. They got bought twice? Boston? Yes. Oh, yeah, Mil- Milwaukee, Philly, uh, Atlanta. Uh-huh. And Atlanta's 
barely hanging on to that top 10 spot. And, you know, Trey Young's out for about a month. So they're going to have to tread water while he's out. Right. But that's still, I mean, that's, Atlanta beat them. Okay, so so that that's baseline. That's foundational. Foundational coming out of this week uh, where you're going to get a few practices. Foundational is no more excuses against inferior teams. No more lackluster energy against inferior teams. No more giving up 16-point leads against lackluster teams. Yeah, that would be fun. I agree with you. That would be foundational. No, no, no margin for error against those kind of teams. Win the games you got to win. And, you know, also a couple statement wins here and there would go a long way. Yeah. If you can beat Oklahoma City. If you can beat Denver one of two times at their place up, up in Denver. The Clippers have had their way with the Suns this year. You got another opportunity both home and away to take care of them and, and kind of alleviate some of those fears. And the Clippers, as we said yesterday, they're coming down to earth a little bit. Kevin Zimmerman's also got a piece on ArizonaSports.com that you can check out with all the bunching and the uh, the standings being what they are, what the tiebreaker mm-hmm. situations are. Um, right now, the Suns, uh, if they were tied with Sacramento, the Kings would have... The uh, the tiebreaker, but they have basically you can call it best case scenarios. You can call that a push. If they beat the Kings, they'll be two and two on the on the season. Right now, the Suns hold tiebreakers against the Pelicans, but they play them twice still. Um, the Mavericks have the tiebreaker against the Suns. The um, Lakers have the tiebreaker against the Suns, and the Suns would have a tiebreaker against the Warriors. Ooh. And there's going to be some ties that come into play. You would, yeah. you would, you would imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be difficult. I, I think, I think your your in depth research proves that out. And then the other, <laughs> the other question. Why'd you on, roll your eyes when you said that? No, no, I'm dead serious. Well, it wasn't on, that in depth. But the other question on this difficult stretch is how often will the Suns actually be 100 percent healthy during this final stretch of the season? True. I, and I look at Thursday night. <laughs> It's going to be really discouraging if Bradley Beal's not able to go on Thursday night. You can say that I mean, again. Over a week. You can say that again. He's yeah. missed the first three games, and then you had, like, th- from, from Monday to Thursday off, and just kind of gauging and eyeballing what he looks like in those pregame workouts that mm-hmm. either you can see where you're at the game at Footprint Center or Dwayne Rankin's putting him out there on the road games. He's going at it in those pregames. Yes, and I wonder if they're just kind of picking their spot. I don't know, but if he, but it lo- right, you see those, and you're like, what, what, what doesn't, what isn't translating? Because here? we saw enough of Bradley Beal in the mix with the big three to say that's the that's the most reassuring form of the Phoenix Suns, mm-hmm. right? Yes, is when they're all available and mm-hmm. they're all firing on all cylinders. Yes. And we had and we had a real good run of it for a while, mm-hmm. right? From December 29th to February, whatever it was, and it was like, okay, they bottled this. Which was still what? How many games in a row was it? I don't know. What was it? I Vinny, think, they, I get think to, they got over 15 uh, games in a row. I, <laughs> the bar is so low. It is. It's today's NBA. Mm-hmm. NASCAR returns to Phoenix Raceway March 9th through 11th. 
for the Shriners Children's 500. NASCAR heads west. You can check out Kyle uh, drivers like Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott take on the Desert Jewel for your chance to win tickets. Head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com. We're coming down the home stretch in college basketball as well. Pretty good weekend last weekend for the Arizona State Sun Devils. Big win, an upset win over Washington State, and a big game coming up tomorrow night. We'll get into all of it with the head coach of ASU, Bobby Hurley, next. Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This is the Sun Devil Fast Break with ASU men's head basketball coach Bobby Hurley. The Sun Devil Fast Break is presented by Accident Law Group. Every week we get to talk to Bobby Hurley, the head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils, getting ready for a big game, a rematch against the University of Arizona tomorrow night in Tempe. And Bobby joins us right now on the Arizona Sports Line. Coach, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. Uh, we spoke last week after what happened in Tucson when you came in studio with mm. us, and I think a lot of people were wondering, I know I was wondering, how your team would respond to, to, to that loss to the Wildcats. But all in all, a very good weekend, and I know it wasn't pretty for, for 45 minutes straight through against Washington. A tough loss there, but then you beat Washington State. How pleased were you with your team's response to a tough loss? Yeah, I think I said after the uh, Washington game felt conflicted because uh, – you know, we we uh, we weren't playing with great passion or uh, urgency. The first like 21 minutes of the Washington game got down 25 points uh, early in the second half. Uh, you know, went to the bench. Uh, the bench got us back in the game uh, instantly. I think brought you know a lot of energy to the floor. And uh, and then once the starters went back in, I thought we performed very well. We fought very hard to give ourselves a chance to win. You really. Can't, can't afford to get down that many points and, and hope to win, but we had plenty of chances to win in overtime. So it was a tough loss, but uh, really proud of uh, you know our performance on Saturday and our response, particularly at the defensive end. Yeah, going back to the Washington game, it's not often you say this about a, a game that you trail by 25, but it, it, it shook out like a game you should have won if you made a couple of free throws. But you brought up that the turning point was going to the bench, the hockey line changed, and you went to some, some guys, including your son, off the end of the bench and it kind of shifted the, the, the momentum. Uh, when did you come up with that plan? Was that just a spur of the moment uh, decision that you just wanted to change the energy? Uh, I think we're, we were you know, frustrated uh, at halftime just the way we finished the first half of that game. We, uh, I think we got outscored 16-0 to zero, uh, at the end of that half and it, it lingered into the, into the start of the second half and Really had no other options at that point. Uh, had to do something to shake things up. And uh, again, we, you know, we fought and we battled. Once we were able to, you know, stabilize that game. And uh, like you touched on, we make a few free throws there down the stretch. I think we uh, we have a chance to win that game. And, and to handle the Cougars the way you did, especially when Washington State seemed to be they're coming off that win against Arizona, they kind of were were. This uh, this unheralded Cinderella story in the conference. Uh, it it kind of reminds me that that you've had a couple of maybe even three times this season where things have gotten dark, but somehow you guys have pulled out of it. So, in a perfect world, what does that look like the next three games? What would you how would you like to see this basketball team finish? Given that you've shown on occasion what this team is capable of. Yeah, I mean it's it's flashes we've we've shown, and and that was probably our closest thing to uh, putting together forty minutes of of quality basketball, both ends of the floor, particularly the defensive end. We held Washington State to thirty nine percent 
you know, we're able to uh, to win the turnover game, which is something we generally do uh, anyway. Uh, we held them a three of eighteen from three, so we guarded the paint very well, and we and we took care of business, uh, you know, contesting their shots on the perimeter. So, I mean, that's the type of defense that we need to play because I it will help our offense. It will put us in a position to get out in transition and uh, take advantage of, of of our skills. I thought we did a great job down the stretch in that game of just you know closing the game out with uh with great defense uh and, and rebounding you know Lonzo Gaffney missed a layup and and he grabbed the ball from the Washington State player and and then secured it was able to go back in and get a three-point play Sean Phillips went in late in that game had a, a very key block so did Gaffney back-to-back possessions and then uh Jose Perez did a great job of just you know, finding ways to manufacture baskets. And then he had a great pass to, to Adam Miller in the left corner as the shot clock was winding down. So we made all the winning type plays that you need to do uh, against a very good basketball team. Bobby Hurley, Arizona State head coach, our guest here on uh, Bickley and Murata Mornings. You get another look at Arizona tomorrow. You're not far removed from that game down in Tucson. Um, is, is it an advantage to see them this close to that game? It's not normal that you see them uh, in, in this time span. Do you think you can use that to your advantage, Bobby? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure how you know how things will, will play out. Uh, I'm not sure how personal you know we take you know what happened to us there. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, is that something that shakes you know our confidence or? Uh, bothers our, our belief in what we could do. I, I, I would imagine that we're, we have to be a little bit more confident based on knowing that we were able to come, uh, beat a ranked opponent, you know, on our home floor. So hopefully we could take that momentum, you know, into this game tomorrow night. What about the idea of a, of a final Pac-12 home game and what kind of energy it might mm-hmm. kind of uh, generate? What are you looking for in, in terms of that? I just I want to see the fire. I want to see the guys fight. I want to, you know, I want to play our style at our very best. I, I think when we are disruptive, when we're scrappy, uh, then, then we got a chance to to stay in a game, which is about anybody. Uh, we have to avoid uh, poor turnovers. I thought, uh, you know, we we were in the game at Arizona. It was twenty six twenty five. And then we got rushed up like three or four times consecutively. We turned the ball over. We shot quickly in a possession. And uh, we went empty. And you just can't afford to do that against a team like Arizona because they will make you pay in transition. They really hurt us in in transition the first time around. And in the paint, we have to do a better job in the paint. They scored over 60 points in the lane against us our last game. So those are things that we'll talk about certainly uh, today and leading into the game tomorrow. Around college basketball, a lot of people still talking about what happened Saturday at the Wake Forest Duke game with the court storming. Kyle Filipowski goes down in that injury for for, for Duke, uh, in that uh, court storm for, for Duke. And people are talking about how to deal with this issue in college basketball. What are your thoughts on it? And is there a way to effectively eliminate court storming in the game? Well, I mean, I, I understand the excitement, enthusiasm associated with college basketball and just the fans and their engagement and enjoyment of, of a victory like that. But the reality is uh, it was a tough situation, what I saw on TV and, uh, you know, with the potential of injury. I also think about just putting those kids that just lost a game like that in in that type of environment. What could happen that's even far worse than what happened yeah. on Saturday? 
you know, because there's uh, a lot of bad feelings and then you're throwing people into the mix that could potentially taunt players. And, and now you have a, an ugly scene on your hands. So if, uh, if it was up to me, I, I think I would avoid those situations. Yeah. Bobby Hurley, head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils, our guest every Tuesday here on Bickley Murata Mornings. A few weeks ago, we talked about a, a certain player, Adam Miller. You talked about how important he was to getting your offense on track, and he was going through a, a tough stretch. But over his last six games, Adam has looked very comfortable. He's shooting a high percentage from both two and three. Would you say that uh, his comfort level is as high as it's been since he's been a Sun Devil, Bobby? Yeah, I mean he's getting in a good rhythm. I think he, he's he's taking quality shots, uh, and uh, you know his his performance. Uh, I think we all were, were at a turning point where we were, you know, we were struggling to put the ball in the basket, and and Adam has really you know helped in, in that process. But I mean, if you look at, at us as a team overall, if if we get multiple guys. You know, playing well within one game. You know, we're we're a pretty dangerous team. We, uh, you know, we need balance. We we can't rely on one guy to to shoulder the burden at the offensive end of the floor. When we get four or five guys double figures, usually our results are pretty good. And then on the other side of the uh, floor, defensively, and we've talked about Frankie Collins on that side of the floor a lot this year. He set the ASU single-season mark for steals, beating Fat Lever's record. I'll give you a chance as a head coach to politic right now. Is, is Frankie Collins the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year? I think it depends how the standings shake out. I think, you know, I... I I think it's us. Uh, I think it's Frankie and, and a Dembona at UCLA. Those would be my two selections. Um, I, it's hard for me right now to, for another guy to, uh, that jumps into my mind. So, you know, how do we finish these last three games? Are, are we able to somehow get ahead of UCLA in the standings? Well, Bobby, as always, yeah, thanks luck, for the Bobby. time. Uh, good luck tomorrow night. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Bobby Hurley, the head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils, our guest every Tuesday here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Coming up next, Sarah's going to take us through some social studies on uh, the Tuesday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.